I don't know whether you've ever thought about what's the difference between animals and human beings. Because there are some. Did you know that? There are some fundamental differences between animals and human beings. One of the things that animals don't do is animals don't spend any time worrying about whether their team is going to get relegated or not. And these days, neither do I, because my team is going to get relegated. So all of the worry is gone. Animals don't worry about or or say to their partner, did you switch the box on to record EastEnders Live this week? Animals don't do that. In fact, animals don't have any angst at all like we do. You don't see an antelope that wakes up one morning and is grazing on the Serengeti plains and then all of a sudden thinks to himself, there must be more to life than this. You know, I, do, I get up the same day, I do the same thing, I just look out for the same lion, then I move here, I move there and I sleep and that's it. You, they don't think like that. You don't get a buffalo that, that halfway through his life has a crisis where he suddenly starts looking around thinking, I'm halfway through, I've only got half back. Where's a motorbike that I can ride? Where are leathers I can put on? Where's there a younger buffalo around? You just, they don't happen. You don't get a dung beetle that suddenly wakes up one day and says, do you know what? I think I need a career change. I'm not reaching my potential in this current endeavour. They don't think like that. They don't have any of that kind of angst. Wouldn't that be great? But you know what? Neither do animals dream or long, or aspire, or hope, or desire. They don't have faith. And in the Bible, in the New Testament, which is the second half of the Bible, towards the end, someone writes some amazing verses around faith. And if you're a Christian or you've been in church a long time, you'll know them, but they may be new to some of you. And it says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for, and assurance about what we do not see. Then he goes on to say, this is what the ancients were commended for. So it's like faith is, we hope and we long for something that we don't see. It's invisible, but it becomes visible in our experience. But then it goes on to say, without faith, it is impossible to please God. And here's a thought for you this morning. Does that mean that if animals don't have faith, they don't please God? So when a flower opens, is God not pleased? When a a herd of zebra run uh, across the plain as the sun drops down, when the sun comes up in the morning, is God not pleased by that? Of course he is. And that's because there's a distinction between animals and human beings. In human beings, God has given us the ability to create and to dream and to aspire and to long and to have faith. And faith is when something that's invisible, we kind of reach for it and we yearn for it and we long for it and it becomes visible in our experience. The light goes on, aha, eureka, we see it. And what we want to share with you over the next four weeks is this whole concept of aha. And fundamentally, what's different between human beings and animals is that faith enables us to hope and long for what we don't yet see, but what we believe is there. It enables us to reach and to dream for the invisible to become visible. And over the next four weeks, myself and Jane and Simon are going to take us through this series called Aha. We're going to tell some stories from the Bible. It's going to be a different story each week. And there's also going to be a real life story from someone in the church that you're going to hear each week as well. 
And I want to start right from the beginning because I'm doing the introduction this morning to say there are a whole variety of different people here this morning. And you may fit into one of these different categories if you don't mind being categorized just for a moment. Some of you will be, you know, as I talk about change and as I talk about transformation, some of you will think, there's nothing that needs to change in my life. I don't need any change and I don't need any transformation. If that's you, I'd love to meet you, okay, because you're quite remarkable. But there may be some of you and you don't see that there's any need and that's absolutely fine. But maybe one day you will. So maybe this will be helpful to you then. But there'll be others of you uh, and you've kind of lost the aspiration for change. You know, what you've done is you've settled for what you know, what you see, rather than yearn for what you don't yet see. You'd rather settle for the visible that you know than the invisible that you don't know. Maybe that's at work. Maybe that's in your marriage. Maybe that's in your home. Maybe that's as it comes to faith. Maybe you're not yet a Christian. And you you kind of think, well, you know, yeah, all that God stuff maybe exists, maybe it doesn't, but, you know, I can't see God, so therefore I'll settle for what I see and know rather than yearn for what I don't see and don't yet know. And that may be you this morning as well. There may be some of you this morning and you've lost the aspiration for change because you've tried so hard and it doesn't work. You're just change weary. So you've done all the diets under the sun. You've tried every self-help book you can imagine and nothing works and you're just fed up of it. So you think, do you know what? I can't be bothered. It's too hard work changing myself. Some of you, I don't think you'll allow yourself the thought that change is possible in your life. Because there's a voice that you hear from time to time and it says to you, because of who you are or because of what's happened to you or the experience you've had, that change for you is not possible. So for you, you think all the lights will come on for everyone else, but I'll be the one that remains without the light. Change won't happen to me. Some of you think like that. And you know, you can be a Christian, be a Christian for a long time. And if I was to say this morning, I've got a word from God for one of you here. I guarantee most of us will think that's not me. We just will. We'll think it's somebody else rather than think it's me. There's something within some of us that says, you know what, everybody else can get it, but I won't get it. But there's some of you here this morning and you really believe and long for change. You just don't know how to access it. Our hope and prayer is that AHA will help you to access change. Now this is a concept not... uh, developed by us. This is a concept developed by a guy called Kyle Eidelman who's written a brilliant book called Aha, which I read last year. I'd highly recommend it. In fact, most of the material for this morning is taken out of his book because he's done it so well, I can't do it any better. So I'm crediting him, crediting him because it's his stuff, okay? And over the next few weeks, we'll develop it and put some of our own stuff and thoughts in it, as I will this morning as well. But the basic concept is his and it's brilliant. Now I want to say this is not self-help, even though it will look like it for a moment. Have you noticed how, many, how much self-help material is out there in the world? And a lot of it's really good, and I read a lot of it. But it's really interesting. If you go into a bookstore or you go on Amazon, there is thousands and thousands of books on self-help. It's a multi-billion pound industry. In fact, I want to suggest, if you go into Waterstones and you ask the assistant where the self-help section is, you've missed something already, haven't you? Self-help, there's the clue. But, but, but there's a thought... But the thing that's interesting to me is that when you go in the section, you look, you can see all these books about how you can have a much better, more dynamic career and a much more energizing, life-giving marriage and a much more satisfying sexual experience and a much better parenting experience and you can be a better you and you can have a body to die for. You can have all this kind of stuff. Here's the thing. If any of those books are absolutely true, why do we write so many of them? Because surely one's enough, isn't it? 
Because there's something in the self-help world, as though it can teach us a lot, which is kind of missing something. And what I want to share with you today and over the next four weeks is not self-help. Self-help will get you so far. But we believe in supernatural change driven by the intervention of God. And it will involve us as well. And some of what we do will look and feel like self-help. But if you take the God bit out, you take out the power to change. You see, here's the, the statement. A spiritual experience that brings about supernatural change. That's what we believe in. A spiritual experience that brings about supernatural change. And what you're going to see over the next four weeks is a story from the Bible and a story from someone's life in this church where that moment has happened, where that light has come on, where that eureka moment has happened. And they've been involved in it and they've done certain things, but it's God who's brought about the change. You see, self-help will mean that we'll try and change ourselves, and we can modify our behavior and we can do certain things and we can try different techniques, but we don't have the power to change on the inside what we really need to change. And that's what we want to talk to you about over the next few weeks. Now, Jesus really believed in this whole aha concept that I want to share with you this morning. And, um, you know, I I kind of believe that, and I shared this with our staff recently, if I was to ever lose my hope that God could change a life, I need to quit what I'm doing. Now, there are moments when it looks like that. There are moments when God doesn't do what I want it to do. There are moments when people don't change. I get all of that. But within all of that are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of moments where you think, do you know what? That can only be God. And it's those moments that we need to hold on to in our life, isn't it? When we lose that belief that God can intervene and change a situation or a person, we've lost everything. So what is AHA? What does it stand for? The A stands for awakening. It's a sudden awakening where the light goes on. The H stands for honesty. You see, when the light goes on and you see something in your life, it must be followed with brutal honesty. Brutal honesty. We're going to unpack that a lot over the next few weeks. But then that's not enough because the third letter, the other A, is action, immediate action. You see, when the light goes on and you see something in your life, And you're honest enough to know that it needs to change. If you don't do anything, nothing will change. Which is why so many of us have said, you know what? As as you get off the scales, do you know what I mean? I need to do something about how I'm eating. The the awakening's there. The honesty's there. It's the action that's the problem, isn't it? Other areas of our life, we don't even get to action because there's no light. We don't even see that there's an issue in our life that needs to change. If we really want to be fully human, if we want to be fully as God wants us to be. Now, it sounds like a self-help strategy, but it's not. This is a rejection of self-help and an invitation for God to initiate the awakening, to help us with the honesty, and then as we fulfill the action, to bring about the change that we can't do on our own. And Jesus tells this really famous story in Luke chapter 15. It's my favourite story, I think, in the Bible. I've spoken about it more than any other. And in Luke chapter 15, again, one of the Gospels written in the second half of the Bible called the New Testament. And Luke tells three stories in Luke 15, or Jesus rather tells three stories that Luke records. One is the story of a lost coin. A woman loses a coin in the house. Goes on a big search for the coin. Finds the coin. Invites her friends and neighbours around. They have a celebration. The other one is is a story about um, a shepherd who loses a sheep. Leaves the 99, goes and looks for the lost sheep, brings him home and uh, invites all his mates around. They have a big party because the lost sheep is home. That's all really building up to the main story, which is a story about a family. 
It's not about a coin or a sheep. This is about a family. Remember, there's a difference between animals and human beings. Jesus goes on a journey here. Money is important, but not that important. Animals, important, but not that important. Ultimately, what's really important is human beings. And what Jesus does is he tells this story, and you know the story, some of you. It's a story about a wealthy man, and um, uh, he has two sons. And the younger son goes to the wealthy man one day and says, Hey, Dad, and I'm paraphrasing, okay? You know, when you die... I'll get half of your inheritance, right? Yes. Could I have it now? In other words, what he's really saying is, Dad, I really love you, but I wish you were dead. Because if you were dead, I'd get half of what I should get. And I want it now. I'd rather have your stuff than have you. That's what he's saying. And the father says, must have been incredibly hurt. But he gave him that. And he said, okay, here it is. And the younger son left. And the Bible says the younger son left the father's house. That imagery is important. And he went to what it, the Bible describes as a distant country. Okay? So he disconnected from the father's house where the father was. And he ended up in a distant country. Now here's a little aside. The other son, the older brother, didn't disconnect from the father's house. But he certainly wasn't connected to the father's heart at all. In fact, he was as far away from the father's heart as the younger son was. But that's not the point. The point is that this guy turns away and he heads away to a distant country. And when he's in the distant country, he takes all the money and he starts spending it. He has party after party after party, okay? All the lights are flashing. Food, drink, women, music, the whole lot. Friends everywhere because he's loaded and he's a party animal. People love being with him. But then the money starts running out. The friends start disappearing. The lights start going down. The drink stops, the food stops, the girls disappear. And the Bible says he ends up so low that he ends up, the only thing he can do is to work in a pig pen with the pigs. And remember, he's Jewish. So with the pigs, that's kind of really unclean. That's the last place you'd expect to see a good Jewish boy. And here he is with the pigs. And what happens is that the food that the pigs are eating seems so good to him that he even eats the food of the pigs. He's reached rock bottom. Here's the thing, stick with me. And here's where his aha moment comes. When he reaches rock bottom, when he thinks he couldn't get any lower, something happens and there's an awakening inside of him and his light comes on. And the Bible records in Luke 15 verse 17 these words, when he came to his senses... In other words, when the light came on and all the other lights that he was looking at, they all would disappear. When his light came on, when he came to his senses, he said, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I'll set out. I'll go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. Still takes my breath away every time I think about that moment in this story. Here he is, rock bottom in a distant country. And can I say, you do not have to move geographically to be in a distant country when it comes to God. You can be in church every single week and you can be in a distant country. When we disconnect from, the, from God, when we turn away from Him, when we, something happens in our life that breaks that relationship, we're disconnected, we're in a distant country. But there is a moment when if we're open to it, we can come to our senses. 
And he comes to his senses and he's honest about himself and about where he's come to. And then action, he gets up and he begins to walk home. And this is what I love because the son is depiction of us and the father is a depiction of God in many ways in this story. And what I love about God is that whenever we make a slightest movement towards God, God is running towards us, isn't he? See, in the Middle East, in this kind of time, a wealthy man would never run anywhere. He had long flowing robes. He took his robes in his belt and he ran. You know, it's really undignified. He runs towards his son because he is more interested in relationship than in the rules. And when he meets his son, he doesn't say, look at the state of you. You stink like pigs. Look at what you've done to your mother. He doesn't say any of that. He just throws his arms around him and he kisses him. Because whenever you make a move towards God, he's already making a move towards you. And then what happens is there are spiritual transformation, lasting change. Because of this process, this aha, this spiritual awakening, the brutal honesty and the immediate action. But you know, here's the thing. For most of us, we can't identify with ending up in a pig pen. We can't identify with ending up in a distant country where we're rock bottom, where we've got no money, where we stink like, but we don't identify with that. In fact, two weeks ago when at the baptism service and Simon, our, our other pastor here, uh, gave you his story. His story is a very dramatic story of 10, 11 years ago, ending up rock bottom, you know, and facing a prison sentence, which he went to prison for things that he'd done as he shared. But most of us don't identify with that. But here's something I want you to know. Whenever your light comes on, Wherever you are, when your light comes on, that is just as dramatic and powerful as anyone else's experience. Just a different one. And what, one of the things that really impacted me a couple of weeks ago was not only seeing my own son get baptised and all the other people, but one of the stories, because it really touched on this whole issue, that life can be perfect as you see it, but you're lost. And then that light comes on and that awakening happens and spiritual change can take place. So if you missed it, or even if you didn't miss it, here it is again. Here's Greg's story. My name's Greg, and I've been coming to Zion for the past 12 months or so, after completing the Alpha course last January. Prior to that, I can honestly say that my life was great. Uh, Genuinely felt contented. Work was going well. Family was great. The relationship with... My beautiful fiance Danny was perfect. You know, life life was pretty good. Now, my younger brother Dominic, he's over there, um, had been pestering Danny and I for quite a while to come to Alpha. Uh, so after much persistence, we finally relented just to <laughs> shut you up. Um, but you know what? I'm I'm so glad that he did um, because our lives, both of our lives, just now feel complete. And I'm so grateful for the blessings that that God has has given us and the journey that Danny and I are experiencing together. It's amazing. It's only now that I have Jesus in my life do I realise that something was actually missing. I read something recently which sums it up far better than I can, so I'll read it so I don't mess it up. It says, We must remember that no matter how contented or successful people appear to be, Without Christ, they are hopelessly lost. And I just think that sums my journey up and I just think it's fantastic. It's only now that I realise just how true that statement is. And I just want to say, if there is anyone here today that felt the same way that I did, you know, that life is perfectly good as it is, I just want to say, 
give God a go because he might just surprise you like he did me. That moment of awakening when the light comes on. You're in a distant country when the light isn't on. But when it comes on and there's that honesty and then there's the action, change can happen. And what I want to do this morning is just to break down those three things for you and give you an overview. And then over the next few weeks, we're going to travel this road together. So the first thing is a sudden awakening. He came to his senses, the Bible says. Don't you love alarm clocks? How many of you love alarm clocks? I'll tell you, I didn't love it this morning, okay? I didn't sleep all that great last night. Uh, woke up quite a few times, then finally drifted off back to sleep. And then the alarm, oh my gosh, I hated that thing. And then if you've got an iPhone or something, you can't quite find it. And anyone feel my pain there? You know that experience. You hate it. There's something about an alarm clock which you hate. But here's the thing. The effectiveness of the alarm is in direct correlation to how much you don't want to hear it. Isn't it? So that's the purpose of an alarm, wakes you, you don't want to hear it, but you need to or it won't wake you up. What will it take to wake us up? There's a story in the Old Testament, you might have heard this guy called Jonah, Jonah and the whale or Jonah and the big fish, the story. But Jonah runs away from God and um, he gets onto a boat heading in the wrong direction from where God wanted him to be. And the Bible says that he was asleep underneath uh, in the boat of the boat and there was a big storm and the sailors were terrified for their lives, but the man of God was asleep. So while everyone else around who didn't know God was drowning, the man who did know God was asleep and he needed to be woken up. And here's the thing about being asleep. You never know you've been asleep till you wake up. Isn't that true? How many of you have done this? I'm just, shut, I'm just shutting my eyes for a moment. You ever done that? Three days later, somebody has to wake you up, don't they? Do you know what I mean? Wake up! You never know you've been asleep till you wake up. Also, you do things when you're asleep you wouldn't dream of doing when you're awake. Bad and good. And also, when you're asleep, the last thing you want to hear is the very thing you need to hear, which is the alarm. How does God wake us up? You think coming to our senses is really, really important. And I want to ask you this morning, what will it take to wake us up from our sleep so we come to our senses? Maybe the man that keeps flirting with the same girl in the office, he's married but he just keeps flirting. It's just a little bit of harmless fun, but it gets more and more and more. When's he going to wake up? Or maybe the woman that can't stop spending, shopping, and it comes on the credit card, and it comes on the credit card, and it's, it's all right, it's under control, it'll go. When is she going to wake up? Or the marriage, you know, that, 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 that keeps kind of pretending that everything's okay when actually there are really deep fault lines in the foundation that they're not addressing. When are they going to wake up? Or that person that says, hey, it's a weakness, not an addiction, and it's under control, but it's not, is it? Because it's getting stronger and harder to break. When are they going to wake up? When is there going to be an alarm that will wake them up? And how do we come to us? How does God wake us up? What does God use for this whole process to happen? One of the things I think he uses, most of all, is his word, the Bible, isn't it? That's why when you listen to it, and this morning, you know, and for me, it's like, you know, I heard recently of someone in a church that had a new person come to their church, and, and, and the new person came to this friend of mine and said, listen, what you said from the Bible, I said, I'm not yet a Christian, but I found it so helpful. Do you mind if I bring paper and pen to write it down next week? Do you mind? That's exactly what we've dreamed for. 
And I do wonder, honestly, if there's something within church and Christians now who think, oh, I've heard it all before. I know this story. I tell you what, if you think you've heard it all before, you're asleep. You're asleep. God can speak through his word at any moment in any time. Let's write it down. Let's think about it. Let's hear it. Let's receive it. God uses his word more than anything else. When we're reading it on our own, when we're hearing it taught, when we're listening to a podcast, let's be open to let God's word speak. But also I think God uses his people. God uses his people. This has hit me really hard recently. The Bible says in Proverbs 27, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. And this week, I, I went to walk over Clint uh, to pray, and I was struggling in my head with a few situations that I was dealing with, and a few people issues, and I was thinking, God, why is it? Why is it? What's going on here in these situations? And God reminded me of, a, of a, a quote I heard years ago, and I don't know where it's from, so I can't credit it, but it basically was something like this. What we want to hear, we don't need to hear, and what we need to hear, we don't want to hear. I thought, how true is that? What we want to hear, we don't need to hear, but what we need to hear, we don't want to hear. And then I realized, you know what? We all say, oh, please speak into my life, but if we don't want to hear it, we push it back, don't we? Because what we want to hear is what we want to hear, not what we need to hear. And you know, and we live in a culture like that, uh, social media, fascinating, fascinating with this. You know, you're amazing. You are amazing just the way you are. That's like the culture. That, and we just want to tell each other how amazing we are. And we are amazing and you are amazing. But listen, God thinks you're amazing just the way you are. But he also loves you so much that he wants you not just to stay the way you are, but to become a better version of yourself. So actually, this, oh, don't tell me anything bad. Don't speak into it. Just tell me I'm great and just tell me I'm amazing is actually what we want to hear. But it's not what we need to hear. And if you've got people in your life who love you enough to tell you the truth, you're in a great place. But if you haven't, you need to get some of those kind of people. But here's the thing what I'm realizing. More and more, actually, people don't want to hear what they need to hear. They want to hear what they want to hear. But the Bible says without wanting to hear what we need to hear. There will never be any awakening because God uses that to wake us up. I want to say that sometimes people, you know, you know that phrase, pay it forward. You ever heard that phrase, pay it forward from the film? Sometimes I say with people, hey, play it forward. If you don't change where you're going now, play it forward, what will the outcome be? If you don't get a grips with this, what's going to happen? And to me, there's some truth and there's some light in that. But people push back because they want to hear what they want to hear, not what they need to hear. Secondly, brutal honesty. He said to himself, he said to himself, brutal honesty. You know, I'm realizing now that I'm a a parent of uh, lads in their 20s. and, And it's caused me to think about when I was a kid. And here's my discovery, which is startling, I know. When I was a child, okay, seven or eight or nine, my dad knew everything, okay? Like everything he said was correct. When I was 13 or 14 or 15, my dad had changed so much he didn't know a thing. (laughs) Honestly, what happened in those few years to my dad, I'll never know to this day. But he went from being like the Encyclopedia Britannica, Wikipedia in a body, to being a complete muppet who knew nothing. And then later on, decades later, I think my dad learnt a loads more after that as well. Do you know what I mean? Because there's that kind of deception that we do to ourselves where actually we push it all out there and we don't look at ourselves. Brutal honesty is the only way for real lasting change. Brutal honesty. 
And, and we're going to talk about that in the next few weeks. And that will get difficult, okay? So let me give you... But if you're up for it and you're really up for change, then you'll come with us. One of the stories I love in the book, the AHA book, is he tells a story about a preacher called Fred Craddock whose dad uh, hated Christianity and was very cynical about what his son was doing. But towards the end of this guy's life, he ended up in hospital uh, and, and uh, he, was di- he was dying. And, and his wife, Fred's mother, said, Fred, you need to go visit your dad. He isn't long for this world. He tells a story in the book that this guy went to the hospital. And unbeknown to Fred, um, his, there's a church that was near where his dad was living. And they heard about him and they started visiting him. And they started bringing him meals. And then when he moved into hospital, they still visited him and they went and prayed for him. And they showed him such kindness that it really impacted him. And Fred didn't know this. And so while he was visiting his dad, his dad grabbed his, his, his son's arm and he asked him to write something down. He says, write this down. It's from Hamlet. And this is what it says. In this harsh world, draw your breath in pain to tell my story. Something, wow, this is not like dad. He said to his dad, well, dad, what's your story? What's your story that you're trying to tell me? And do you know what he said? My story is this, I was wrong. I was wrong. And that moment of brutal honesty that comes after an awakening can change a life. I was wrong. I wonder how many of us as husbands and wife could learn that. <laughs> hey darling, I was wrong. I was wrong. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I know you did that and I know that happened and I know this happened but I'm not going to talk about that. I was wrong. Brutal honesty is the only way for real and lasting change. And I think what happened to this guy here, this, uh, this son, was that this awakening happened. And then he came to his senses and he spoke to himself. And what we do is when, when something ha- uh, wakes up, when the light goes on in our life, what we do is that rather than brutal honesty, we, we minimise it, don't we? It's not that big a deal. It's not a big a deal that I did that. Everyone does it. It's not a big a deal. Or we rationalise it. Oh yeah, but this happened and that happened and I was really struggling and this had happened in my life and, and that means it was okay to do that. Or we project it. It was somebody else's fault. See, if they hadn't done that, then I wouldn't have done that. That's not brutal honesty. It's deception. And you'll never ever see lasting change unless you're brutal with honesty. Have you ever been to a theme park? Have you ever been to a theme park and got lost? Yeah? If you've been to Alton Towers or Drayton Manor or Disney World or whatever. Here's the thing. You, you want to get to the log flume and you're lost. So you go and find a big map. What do you look for first on the map? You are here. You don't look for the log flume, do you? Because it doesn't matter diddly squat where the log flume is on the map if you haven't got a clue where you are. So, and this is really important. So what we do in life is we tend to think, well, listen, as long as I know where I'm going, that's important. No, you need to know where you are. You are here. Then find the log flume. This is what happens to the, to the guy, the, the younger son. He comes to his senses. He understands, I am here. This is where I am. I'm in the pig pen. I'm disconnected from the father's house. I'm in a distant country. I need to go back. That's where I need to be. But this is where I am. And if you don't know where you are, you've got no chance of knowing where it is you're meant to be going. And then finally, immediate action. The Bible says in verse 20, so he got up. So he got up and he went towards his father's house you know we confuse feelings for action and they're not you know even this morning you might think oh that was good and I felt stirred and you know we have emotion and we think I felt different therefore I've acted different I felt like I'm changing I felt like I'm confessing I felt like I'm repenting feelings are not the same as actions at all and between these two statements when he came to his senses and so he got up that's where the game is won or lost isn't it 
When he came to his senses, oh yeah, here it is. My marriage is in trouble. Brutally honest. Got to do something about it. And do you know what? I can't tell you how many times the last two weeks I've sat with people, talked to people on the phone, written to people on email whose marriages are in trouble. They're all around the same age as me. I can't tell you how many I've talked to. Never spoken to as many people in a two-week period in my whole life about this one issue. And you know, when I hear words like, hey, we're in trouble and we need help, what would you suggest? I want to say, well done. That's not weakness, that's strength. But when I hear people say, yeah, yeah, we're in trouble, but we'll get through it all right. I think, you fool, you idiot. There's no light going on. There's no honesty. There's no action. There's going to be no change. And what happened is that he got up and he walked towards God. So I want to say to you this morning as we wrap up, don't tell me you believe in spiritually leading your family until you do it. Until you do it. And that could mean saying we're going to live our lives in such a way that church and community is part of the rhythm of our life. Not an optional extra, but part of how we do family because that's what it means to raise our family spiritually. We're going to talk to our kids. We're going to pray with our kids. We're going to help our kids. But we're going to make sure that we organize our lives in such a way that church and community and fellowship and relationship is part of the rhythm of our life. Don't tell me you believe in sharing your faith until you do it. Don't tell me you want to serve until you serve. We confuse feelings for action. Jesus says, if you love me, you will do what I command. Not because you have to, but because you want to. Not you will feel like you've done it, but you will actually do it. You know, there's another story in the Old Testament of, of a lady called Hannah, who is without child. She's barren. That's a real big disgrace for her in her culture and she, it's in the day and age when, when there were, her husband had other wives as well. And, and she used to go to the temple every, every year. And she used to pray about this issue. But, but one of the husband's other wives used to taunt her because she was having kids and, and Hannah couldn't. And the Bible says year after year she did this and got taunted and taunted and taunted. Then one year, the Bible just says, she got up. Just that little phrase, she got up and she prayed on her feet. It was like there was a change. She thought, I'm coming here, I'm doing the same thing, it's getting nowhere. Nothing's changing. So she changed her position. She got up and all of a sudden, everything began to change. Because that awakening, honesty, action can bring lasting change. So, when will you get up? When will you get up? When will you change that position? When will you make that change you're threatening to make for so long? When will you put that relationship right you've been avoiding for so long? When will you start spiritually leading your family that you've been threatening to lead for so long? When will you start living out your faith at work, not just at church? When will you get up and see that awakening that leads to honesty, that leads to action? You know, we, um, we want to finish this morning by doing something slightly different. What we want to do this morning, and our prayer in this, and it's a passionate prayer, is that what we're going to do now will inspire you to begin to dream, will inspire you to begin to hope and to reach and to long, to see the invisible become visible in your life, that change is possible when you invite God into the process. And what we're going to do is that the guys are going to sing to you and Sally's going to dance for you this morning. And this is around the whole song, literally, well, it is called Dance Again. And um, 
for some of you thinking, that doesn't mean literal dancing again, all right? So I'm not going to dance, all right? So don't worry about that. This is a metaphor for this idea that, you know, when you feel that actually life has crossed you in such a way or something has died in your life and you'll never that again, you'll never again, that actually God is the God that says, I love in changing that round. I love it when I can do something in someone's life that means that when they think they'll never dance again, they will. When they think they'll never sing again, they will. When they think they'll never speak again, they will. When they think they'll never serve again or reach again or dream again, actually, they will when they invite me into it. So our hope and prayer for you this morning is that as you watch and listen to this, you will be inspired to believe again. And that maybe you'll say, hey God, if there's anything in me, if there's a light that needs to come on in me these next few weeks, I'm open. Yeah? I'm open. I'm not going to push back. If there's people you want to speak into my life, I'm open. Don't just tell me what I want to hear. Tell me what I need to hear so that I can become the person, fully alive human, that you have created me to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your incredible truth. God, your word is so simple and so profound. God, at times it is complex as well. But God, when we hear it, when we see it by your spirit, when we respond to it, Lord Jesus, you can do incredible things. And so, Father, I pray that now as we listen and look, God, I pray that by your spirit, that there will be lights coming on all over this place, that there will be moments of just hope again, of, of passion and of vision. We can begin to dream again, begin to create again, begin to reach for the invisible that you call faith in Jesus' name.